Welcome to Two Crazy Scoops Podcast with your hosts Ao and Tino and special guest Jesse O today. So we're going to call him in a second, talk about some pretty cool things, and uh, welcome. We're going to test that out right now. How do you feel, Aaron? This going to be our first video audio. I'm ready. Let's do it. What if I have like the wrong number for him? That'd be hilarious. What if I called the wrong person? Hmm, it's an idea for a future episode. Prank calls. <laughs> Call the random. Oh, we're FaceTiming this. Yeah. Oh, hey. What up, man? How's it going? Chilling, man. Hey, how's it going, man? What's going on, man? Nice to Likewise. So, how does the audio sound to you? Can you hear us? I can hear you guys, yeah. Oh, cool. You can hear me or? Yeah, we can hear you. All right, cool. So what's what's cracking? What's uh, what's going down? Welcome to Two Crazy Soups Podcast. Usually you could like sit here and talk to us. Oh, we're recording right now, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, it's kind of. I guess it's kind of awkward, non-traditional way of doing this, but I know it's kind of like you're uh, you're our expert. You normally they have people who don't have the time to like sit on a podcast call in. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, hey, we called this really successful person who's going to talk to us for 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how you get... that's going to record. There we go. Oh, there we go. Sorry, I think we had to turn you up. There. We good now? Yeah. Testing, testing. Uh... <laughs> we probably should have done like a run before we actually. Probably. But... I assumed that you guys were, but, you know, thought I was dealing with professionals here. Welcome to the profession. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, Aaron says he. I think you guys have crossed paths because he DJed a wedding you were at. So I think you oh, should okay. be pretty familiar with who he is by now. Okay, I'm sure that. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man. So this week we had our beer expert Jesse Ortega on. I know a lot of people right now or into all that craft brewery stuff. Well, not so much because you can't go anywhere. But you can do, like, takeout beers now, which is weird. Yeah, that's cool. So what would you say would be the cause of that craze happening? The craft beer craze? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely before my time. You know, that <clears throat> a lot of the stuff started in the 80s when, uh, or maybe late, late 70s when they started uh, – allowing people to homebrew because you know america has some very weird antiquated laws about alcohol and, and liquor because of prohibition and stuff like that and they just kind of stuck around and every state has different laws but you know federally there's some weird stuff too uh so then i think people just started homebrewing and you got people uh like up in the pacific northwest a lot i think like up in portland area uh, oregon in general uh, started brewing and then you know, people, I think also to a lot of people that went to war, you know, like in World War Two, and they went to Europe and uh, different stuff like that, would they just got this taste of amazing beer over in Europe and never could find anything close to it here in, in the States. And so probably a lot of those guys got into brewing too, you know. And when you started getting flavors into beers, it just kind of blew people's mind. And just, you know, and that was just really with just like, like a, a flavorful lager, like, um, I don't know how old um, Sam Adams is, 
but you know, like th- those are some of the original craft brewers. And so, and there's just a lager that was more flavorful, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I got people texting me, is that coming out on there or no? Eh, not really. Okay. <laughs> um, and just so, so that, you know, and then different once they got into the market or, or people going to a brewery, and I think it was just like a novelty thing. Like, oh, hey, that's cool. Like this place makes their own beer, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the 80s. Yeah. And people got into it. And then, you know, little by little, it, it became more than a hobby for some. And that just led to, to different breweries opening up. And and as, as different laws started changing and people were able to get access to different stuff from around the country, I think that really open a lot of people's eyes because for me I, I came in i would say pretty pretty late to the craft beer scene i mean p- partially because of age uh i turned 21 in 2006 and just about that time i i kind of dabbled with different craft beers here and there but you know i was i was in, in college at the time couldn't afford a lot um but like so for me my personal journey was i, I remember the first time that um that i tried a beer that really blew my mind and it was um uh, blue moon which isn't necessarily a craft beer it, it's actually made by um cores but they they kind of like disguise themselves as a as a craft brewery mm-hmm. um so i tried that and i was just amazed at what beer could look like what it could smell like what it could taste like and i had just you know never never had anything like that and um as time went on too not too long after that i remember i I started trying dark beer and Negro Modelo was one of the first ones, which is like a dark lager. And, uh, I remember opening it the very first one I ever had and I handed it to a friend and she took a drink first and then, you know, passed it back to me and I took a drink and I was like, Oh man, this is awesome. Like I'm getting like dark chocolate and like cherry flavors and all this off of it. And everybody was looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't get that. And everybody's trying and they're like, I don't, what do you mean? I don't get that. And then uh, the homie of mine that I was with, he starts laughing and he's just like, he can't control himself. He's laughing so much. And so I'm asking him, like, what, what, what are you laughing at? And he realized what I was tasting was the, the girl's lip gloss. <laughs> that oh, put onto my bottle. man. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, but after that, though. Hey, you, you could, might be onto something, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just put lip gloss around all the glasses, kind of like a... Yeah. Was a blanking. What is it called? Like a margarita. Margarita. There you oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know when when I tried that, I was like, man, but there that that flavor's got to exist, you know. And that that really catapulted me into a like this journey into stuff. And and from there, I tried you know a, a lot of different hefeweizens or wheat beers and stuff. And the German ones are really good. The American ones suck. And then from there, I went to like just darker beers in general, like brown ales and, and porters and stouts. And it was about 2011 that I got introduced to barrel-aged stouts, which are just really big um, stouts that are usually 10% to, I don't know, 15 16%. Um, at the time, I think the what? biggest one was uh, alcohol by volume. So when you drink like a, a Bud Light or whatever, a Budweiser is 5%. A Bud Light, I think, is like 4.7% alcohol. Um, whereas like your typical wine, your wines are like, I don't like 10 to 13% probably. And then your, your typical hard liquor is going to be like 40%, you know, like Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, your beer is not normally above, I don't know, five or 6% in your, your normal American lagers. Uh, so I started trying those, 
those big stouts that they put them in old bourbon barrels and they would age them for, you know, usually about a year, some of the, the bigger ones at the time. And from there, that really just opened my eyes to what, what a beer could be. And still to this day, so I, I'm, I'm really into bourbon as well. I like scotch a little bit. Um, I like tequila, different agave spirits, like the one that I have right now is Bacanora, which is a, basically like a tequila from Sonora. And for tequila, it has to be from Jalisco, from a, a I don't know the whole state or a certain region that's called tequila um, to be considered tequila and from a certain type of agave plant. And then Bacanora is a, an agave plant, but very different from what they have in Jalisco. And it's from, like I said, down in Sonora and the kind of mountainous region. Mm-hmm. And so this one I actually got from a custodian at my school. They uh, brought it over to me in a mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's, it's really, really great. Very different from anything you'd ever try. So anyways, back to the barrel-aged one. So from there, and then at that time, I was dating, uh, who is now my wife, and we would go, and she was from San Diego, and San Diego was kind of the the epicenter of the craft beer thing. So some people may argue different areas, but I would say San Diego definitely was in, in the top three uh, cities for really, really pushing out beer. But they were more popular for IPAs, like the real, real bitter IPAs. They, they kind of started that West Coast style that became very famous. Um, so then it was really cool. You know, we would go out to breweries all the time. And then just about that time in Tucson, I got married in 2012. And the whole landscape here changed. It seemed almost like overnight from having, I think, two breweries. There was like, uh, well, no, three. Thunder Canyon, uh, Barrio, which is also General Ben's uh, on the university. And, um, was Nimbus one of them? And Nimbus, yeah, yeah, the, the monkey one, Nimbus. And so that was it. And then, like, like overnight, man, like it just they just started popping up. And what started out first to, when I first got here, the only place you could really try craft beer on tap was 1702 Pizza. And then the only store that really had it in quantity was um, Plaza Liquor on Campbell. And... Then around 2012, Tap and Bottle opened, and you know you started getting a lot more craft beer there, and then on tap, and then they had it obviously in bottle, hence the name. And um, with Pueblo Vida open, I want to say 13. And yeah, 2013. Yeah, so just you know, like it just man, and now there's five or six tap rooms in in town, maybe even more, and then some on the outskirts of town as well, and more breweries than I've even been to a lot that are not great. And then what, what you started seeing too is, is um, you started getting quantity over quality in a lot of different places and in different, different cities. And what I saw a lot out here in Arizona, uh, I, I like Tucson beer scene better than Phoenix, but I think Phoenix may even be surpassing Tucson in the more recent like year or two. Mm. They have like rent, rent house and stuff up there. That's that real high quality pushing out good stuff. I think what really changed the game too significantly from my, my short time in it, again, you know, you, you got guys that, that, I know some guys here in Tucson that, that have definitely been in the craft beer scene since the 80s. So, you know, my, my time frame is, is pretty short compared to theirs. Um, but the Northeast style that came out of Vermont, there's a, a beer called Heady Topper. And that beer really, really changed things. And it was just a cheap beer from some, some small town out there in Vermont. And, then a couple of other places out there got it. And then I think some places like in Boston, different places got it there. And I guess it had something to do with the yeast that they were using that was really different. And so where San Diego and California in general started pushing out these um, 
these West Coast IPAs that were very uh, crisp and super, super hoppy, I mean, as a super bitter. Um, this one kind of flipped that, and they were like, uh, they looked dirty. They looked like like bad homebrew, and there was like hops and stuff floating around. Because I, I homebrew also, and like literally my IPAs look like that. My beers in general just they look dirty like that. But that was like their intention, I guess. It was like unfiltered or whatever, and there was tons of hops in there, maybe even more than the West Coast IPAs that were bitter. But they in the brewing process they they did they put it in a certain time of of the brewing process that made it have all the flavor and the aroma but not the bitterness and so those became super popular and i really jumped on that bandwagon as well because i never really cared too much for the bitter ipas i more like the stout and all that type of stuff and so when that northeast ipa style came out a lot of breweries opened up around that style and pueblo vida initially wasn't that but they definitely have been a major pusher of that in arizona mm. um I would argue one of the better ones, you know, just depending on what, what beer it is, I would say between them, Tombstone and Renhouse up in Phoenix and Tombstone, obviously down in Tombstone, um, are pushing out the best beers of that style. And so that's, that's just been kind of the, the little journey that I've had and the journey that I've seen Tucson go through, um, Arizona a little bit in general. And then, you know, the overall scene since I've been involved in it or a part of it, whatever. Oh. Yeah. I think, me and Aaron, we went to go to Stone Brewery one time in in uh, California. Yeah, yeah. Something, an observation that Aaron had had is that, like, when you drink it at the brewery, it tastes a lot mm-hmm. better sometimes than when you get it out of the bottle. You know, I, I with Stone, I would not necessarily agree. But what I think plays a large part into it is just the atmosphere. Stone is one of the most amazing breweries I've ever been to. Like there, it's an ex- like going there. Is, it's not even a brewery. That's an experience. You know, did you guys go to the main one in Escondido? Uh, <laughs> we were about probably like two hours away from San Diego. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. So that's just, no two hours. Or I don't know. It could have been an hour. It was. We were driving south from where was it? From, from LA. Uh, no, was it from San Francisco? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were driving south from San Francisco. Well, now they have a bunch of places. So they have places up in, in This place was in huge, LA. and it had a courtyard. Okay, so then that, that was the original one in Escondido. So that's about 45 minutes away from San Diego City. Oh. <laughs> um, but. No, but yeah, you know, so that, that place, so, and especially that place, I would say more so than other places, it's the experience of it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, wow, they make beer here. That's just a cool thing, you know, and, and then just the whole ambiance of, of being in a place where they're creating a product. Well, it's huge. I it's all, yeah, and I think it's almost like if, if this is the way that I, I view things, um, because I know that you guys are well, at least you and Tony are big into music, and from from what I listen to, it sounds like both of you guys are. Oh, obviously you're a DJ, right? So, um, so this is a very weird and maybe a long winded explanation of this, but so I, I grew up listening to a lot of oldies, like uh, '60s type of uh, soul music, you know, Motown type of stuff, and so obviously you don't hear that on the radio. You know, I was a kid in the '90s. And so you don't hear that on the radio, but every now and then, like on Sundays, they would play like, there was like cruise nights and lowrider type of things. And so they would play certain oldies on, on the radio. And it was one thing to listen to it in my room or to, you know, to listen to it at, with, with friends or whatever and, and hear those, those same oldies that I heard millions of times. 
but for some reason, when I heard it on the radio, it was almost like magical. You know, like like it was like, wow, man, this is this is a song that I've I've listened to and that I have these memories to, and I have whatever experiences with the song. And it, but it's on the radio for the world to hear, as opposed to just me or my small group of people in, in our backyard or in the room or whatever. And so that that's kind of how I feel about things on beer on tap, especially at a brewery. You know, it's like if you have it you know, you have a six pack or a 12 pack, whatever in your fridge and you drink it by yourself or with your friends or with your family. And it, it's one thing you're drinking more or less socially and it's kind of with people. But when you're at the brewery and you, you get, it's a whole experience. It's almost like that. Like when you get something on tap, it's like, wow, like this is for the world to share. You know what I mean? Like this, uh-huh. this is something that it's just a very different thing that again, may not make sense to, to a lot of people, that's, but that's how I always viewed it when I would get things on tap or when I would go to a brewery, especially being, kind of like nerding out on on beers and stuff so like my wife and i we would take uh our vacations before having a, a baby we would go to different cities for breweries essentially and we would just go to all these different breweries and, and um you know experience all that and so some of the places i had never heard of some of the beers i had never heard of but some of them were like man i've been wanting to try this beer for so long and i get to try it on tap that's so cool and and so i think a lot of that is mental but there is there is also some quality issues with canning lines and, and bottling lines and stuff like that where where things can taste different on tap versus an, in bottle and a big part of that with stone sorry to kind of like go way off on, on a simple question no, but no, um sorry, or, or statement even um with stone <laughs> i was just like beer and you were like Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> uh no but you know so stone too because they're they're very hoppy and so hops is a, is a really delicate uh, ingredient to a beer because it can start fading right away. And especially like if you get Stone IPA, they're, they're kind of a general beer that they always have. Uh, if you get it in Tucson at a Safeway or whatever, it might be like a year old. You know, I, I just think sitting there exposed to light, maybe even sitting out in the warm. And the the bright bitter bitterness in that beer may have faded into some malty off-flavored bitterness. So yeah, so that that is definitely a thing that, especially with IPAs, that you you do want to be careful with, and where you're not going to necessarily get that at Tap and Bottle or or Arizona Beer House or or whatever because they, you know that they're going to store their their beer right, and they're not they're pr- more than likely not going to sell you an old IPA, which is also another reason why you're seeing more cans nowadays than bottles. Um, I know it probably seems like can like bottles are more I don't know fancy or whatever than a can, but can just keep things fresh. It keeps light out from from the beer and, and keeps the the hops especially fresher. And so, yeah, that was something um, so interesting yeah. that we we learned about the, touring the place was how why the beer bottles are so dark. Yeah, how the light can affect it. There's so many things. Temperature, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you're saying, the hops where they buy it, how old they are. Yeah, yeah, and and it could screw up at any point in the process. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a crazy thing, man. Like those those guys that that are successful in in, in the beer world, there's a lot to it. It's funny because you know with with home brewing, so I home brew, and I would say that I'm not even a medi- mediocre home brewer. Like my all my like most of my beer is like like significantly disappointing to me. Like ah, oh, this sucks. I've made like a couple that are like oh wow, this is this is pretty good. Um, but I think what happens and why there's so many bad breweries too is people home brew. And then people come over to your pad and they're like, oh, hey, you know, here, try my beer. And they're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is the best thing I ever had. Because who doesn't love free beer, you know? <laughs> and then, 
but also you're probably dealing with a lot of people, not to say there's anything wrong with it, but people that are used to more like, you know, Budweiser or whatever. And so when they try something that, that has a lot of flavor, like, oh my God, this is mind blowing, you know, but then you go and open a brewery and it's like, well, dude, you're, you suck as a home brewer. And then commercially brewing is completely different than home brewing. And so now you spend all this money and you open up this place that essentially sucks, you know, so it, it's, <laughs> there, there's Basically. just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, you know, but it's just weird because you start home brewing and then people are like, oh my God, are you going to open a brewery? It's like, well, I cooked a steak yesterday. I'm not going to open a steakhouse. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is a big investment. That's a bigger investment than cooking a steak though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, it's still, I mean, you know, you, you think about people, well, like I, I barbecue meat, like I smoke meat and stuff too, you know? And so it's like, same thing. Like I, yeah, that takes, you know, I, I do one, one piece of meat and it might take 12 hours or whatever. And it, it's a lot of investment of time and, and even money to do certain things. But you know, pe- you, people try your barbecue and they don't assume like, Oh dude, you can open a barbecue joint. Yeah, yeah. No. You know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> it's just kind of, kind of weird. Like people just automatically assume home brewing is so far out there that, you know, why would, you know, the, of course, it automatically means you're going to open a brewery, I guess. In people's I, minds, I don't know. I think it's cool, though, because you're able to express your art, so to speak, in that way. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I would say, though, more that there, there is people that are artists, absolutely, when, when it comes to homebrewing. I'm more like a, a MySpace rapper of the early 2000s when it comes to, <laughs> to homebrewing. Like, I just do it because I can, not because I should, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have any higher calling to be homebrewing. Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, oh, hey, this is cheaper than buying a case of beer, and I can pour it from my living room, so that's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, you should send us send us a picture of that later, so Aaron can see it. Oh, well, here I'm in my living room. Let me let me walk over to it and see if you guys can see it. This is his home. Let, let me see if I can flip this. So this is. I don't know if you can see it because the light's kind of bad. You no, can I can see it. see it. Huh. Yeah, it's tapped. Yeah, so that's my daughter's toys beneath it. But yeah, so there's... <laughs> Wait, are you talking about... Is that about her the... bottle? <laughs> oh, you Wait. Wait, are you talking about what's hanging on it? Yeah, well, I thought it had a little purse right there. But yeah, so these are tap handles right here. Oh, okay, and gotcha. In, I, see. In, I see. Inside is the... I have kegs. Right now, there's nothing, there's nothing in them. Um... Since we had a kid, I haven't brewed a lot. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's expensive and time-consuming. Um, the kid or the kids brewing? Are, yeah, that's all. Yeah. Kids or yeah, the both, dude. <laughs> <laughs> both. Which one do you love more? <laughs> well, <man. laughs> no tough questions. No tough questions. <laughs> They both have kept me up late at night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I think it was funny because, like, I turned 21, and you were, like, the only one who was, like, you opened, you pretty much opened the floodgates, let's just say. And (laughs) you're like, you have to try this, and this, and this, and I was like, dude, I don't know, because my palate just, I couldn't accept it. It was like if I were to, like, give you the whole Pink Floyd discography at once, and be like, here, you're going to sit down and listen to Umagama today. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. which is a album where they just do experimental things, trying to make music with household objects. Oh, crazy. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> they tack on like a two disc. So the first disc is all of that. And the second disc is like them playing live. So it kind of makes up for it. <laughs> but yeah, it's terrible. That's crazy. 
That's what drugs will do to you, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. You gotta listen to the album backwards, though. <laughs> yeah. That's when the real meaning comes out. No, I remember hearing about that album because it, it was on YouTube. It was a top 10 YouTube video or something, and they were doing like the top 10 worst um, songs of all time. I Dude, think, it's bad. Or albums. I can't remember which one it was, but like, that Pink Floyd did show up. They like hung glass from the ceiling and then were like hitting it with little things and like putting yeah. nails into their piano. There was no structure, no nothing. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, back to the beer stuff. I just think it's funny because it's like you had this huge appreciation for it and I was just like, I don't know, man. And yeah, yeah. I, I really didn't understand fully how, how much you really could taste the differences because when we went to World of Beer that one time. Yeah. And uh, you you took a sip of your beer, and you're like, this isn't what I ordered. And they're like, yeah, it is. You're like, no, oh, it's yeah. not. <laughs> and they're like, look it. And they poured it. They showed you that they poured what they had said that you had ordered. And it came right out, and you're like, no. And they had, like, screwed up the the kegs or something in the back. Yeah, because, you know, they had, I don't know, like 50 or 60 um, taps there. And so, yeah, so just, you know, one of the kids that was working there, he just, the one keg blew, and so they put in a new one. But he screwed on the 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 line to the wrong keg and so when they were pouring it was the right sign and everything outside and they kept showing me like it's coming off of this tap but behind the the wall it was on the wrong keg so yeah they were kind of like blown away like how did you know that and yeah. i was like well i i came here specifically for this beer and it's a it's a, this style of beer they were both stout they were both dark so you couldn't tell the difference from the look of it but it was pretty significant in, in the taste of it yeah i was pretty or at, least, at least for me <laughs> Well, and then they shut down, so hey. But yeah, you know. <laughs> I try to help them, dude. Yeah, like, come on. I guess they figure most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. They've probably That's probably their third or fourth drink anyway. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, I mean, because the beer that I ordered was probably $10 for, for the glass. And the one that they had on there, I would assume, was probably $6, you know. And so who knows if they did it on purpose or what. But, you know, anyway, like Antonio yeah. said, they're closed. So. Yeah, they shut down pretty quickly <laughs> after that, too. Yeah. Now it's like the funky monk or something. <laughs> yeah, it's really stupid. Yeah, it's so dumb. But yeah. So that's <laughs> and then when it comes to IPAs, like I said, when I started, like as I was getting older, I noticed a lot of people really liked IPAs and there was really no reason for it. I think it was just because it was a high alcohol content. A lot of like young guys like buying that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I think there is something too that that the alcohol part played a, a role in it. Um, just like the cool factor of it played a role into it. Because like I said, I, I never, I was never into them. Now I can really appreciate them because I, I've gone like the full spectrum of every style and everything, and I can really appreciate a good West Coast IPA. But I also think people are predisposed to certain tastes because, like for me, even to this day, I can appreciate a sour beer, but I don't really, I'll never buy one. But like my wife, when we first went to a brewery there in San Diego. She loved IPAs. Like the more bitter, the better. And then she loves sour beers. Like the more sour, the better. There's also like scotches. There's a, a region of Scotland that's called Isla, and they had their they malt their barley with um, peat. This like moss stuff that grows out there in, in Scotland, and it's like it's super super smoky that that scotch, and like it literally tastes like smoke. And like some some of them from that region taste like like band-aids and like salt and it's just like it, it can be really overwhelming and even disgusting for like a, a person that's not into that whiskey or even like you know someone that's not into whiskey at all but Wait, I, so I took my wife like band-aids and, and salt yeah 
Yes. Wow. <laughs> those are literal like tasty notes in those things. <laughs> <laughs> I just and like how people are like drinking it, not understanding it, but in your head you have this visual of like <laughs> band-aids and <laughs> salt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I took I took my wife to uh, Union Public House up on uh, Camel and River and they have whiskey Fancy. Wednesdays and <laughs> yeah, well, they have half off whiskey on Wednesday, <laughs> so you know, it can be fancy, but it can also be cheap. <laughs> so I gave her, I gave her probably like three different bourbons and like four different scotches that we shared between the the two of us, and she was like immediately like she tried this Isla Scott. It was called uh, Lafroy Ten was the one that she tried, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" And I was like, "Really? You like that one? Like that?" It, even the bartender was kind of like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you like that one." So. You know, and obviously she doesn't care what anybody thinks about alcohol. And she, she drinks with me, but she doesn't really care, you know, about anything. And so for her to try it, she was kind of predisposed to liking really bitter IPAs, really sour uh, wild ales and stuff like that. And on those really smoky, salty, band-aid-y <laughs> scotches, you know. So some people are, are predisposed to it. But then I think because you get a lot of, it, it's almost kind of like, oh, wow, like you like the most extreme of something and that makes you a man or that makes you tough or that makes you like more sophisticated with your palate or whatever. So then other people try to jump on that bandwagon. I, I definitely think that that plays a role in it because for me, I never cared for the IPA and I would never, I actually remember the first time I ever ordered a second glass of an IPA was at Palo Vila when they had, they released uh, this one double IPA and it was, that was the first IPA that they started doing that was starting to get into that Northeast style where it was, um, less bitter and more more hot flavor and so that that was a first for me and so that's when i got into that style though but again that west coast bitterness ipa really wasn't my thing but it was it was super super popular it would it was by far the most popular style of beer and i think just because of that too people were like oh craft beer and the first thing that comes to your mind is ipa you know just because you always hear it and don't necessarily know what it is i guess but mm-hmm. yeah so I don't know, there's a lot of factors that come into it i'm sure you know same thing like in in any other niche market, you know, there's just certain things that stand out and people jump on the bandwagon of it. Yeah. Can you tell us the lore of the IPA? No. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't. One <laughs> <laughs> um, time you told me what... this grand tale about ships and. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how it started in. I don't. I believe it to be the truth. I don't know. I guess I've never really looked too too deep into it. But how it started is because you know when Britain had their vast empire, all the the soldiers would go over to India, and by the time they got their their ale over there, it was spoiled. It was just bad from that trip. And then you know it's it's cold and 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 wet in in England, and then it's hot and I don't know if it's humid or whatever in India, but it's hot in India. And so it would go bad. So then what they started doing was they would add a lot of extra hops to the preserving agent to, to the beer and then bump it up a little bit in alcohol so that it could last that trip and then they could have it uh, to drink there in India. And so, it, which is weird because, for, like I just told you guys earlier, you know, try not to drink an old IPA maybe three months at most is what you want to do because the hops start fading. But for the original intent of it, the hops were there to drink it old, you know, because it was as a preserving agent. And so I would assume, I don't know what the trip is from England to India. I've never been there, but, um, it, you know, <laughs> on, a, on a ship and, in all of the, the temperature variations and all that stuff that it goes in, they're probably in oak barrels or whatever. Um, it, it's that 
that hot flavor, that bitterness, I'm sure has completely gone away by the time they would get to India and drink it. And also, if you try an English IP or yeah, an English IP, I guess, um, they're not anywhere near what you would try anything from Stone. And even like the earlier IPAs from the East Coast um, were darker and a lot, lot less hot. Like, like so what San Diego, what Stone did really, and I, I would say that Stone was the first one. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they were the ones that really invented that style. Um, they just went crazy on the hops. They're like, oh, hey, look, like, so here's this hop that makes your beer taste good. Let's put a bunch of it in there, you know, and, and like everything American, you know, it was just kind of like, let's overdo it. And that's just kind of how that, that thing started. But yeah, so that, that was the history of it. You know, the English soldiers wanting their, their beer and it would spoil on the trip to India. So they use hops as a preservative. And fast forward a couple hundred years and Americans took it to a super extreme. Level 10. So <laughs> since you're like brewing and stuff and you've talked a lot about hops and preservatives and all that stuff. Can you give us kind of like the rundown of what you kind of have to go through in order to to brew a batch? Yeah, so, I mean, the way that it goes is, is usually it's time, like 60-minute boils and stuff like that. So you get your water up to a certain temperature, and then you get all your grain, whatever you're going to use, um, usually some kind of pale malt, and then there's some other specialty malts that you can use. Um so you, you pour those in there and then they boil for um, an hour. So once they're at that temperature, you get it back to that temperature, they boil for, for an hour and that's when you start putting your hops in there. And so uh, a lot of the hops, the earlier you put them in there, um, the earlier you put them in there, the more bitter the beer is going to be. And the later you put them in there, the less bitter and I would argue more flavor would, would come out of it. So the reason, the initial reason for hops is because what you're doing is, is you're pulling all the sugar starches out of the grain and then you discard those grains and then that's when you, that's when it boils for an hour. So it's just like sugar water basically. So if you drink it like that, it's just going to be disgustingly sweet. So they put the hops in there to balance it. Uh, that, that bittering agent balances that sweetness and then it tastes good. Um, so again, you know, just Americans taking it way too far with like, okay, that, that's awesome. So let's put a bunch of it in there. Um, so again, so you, you boil all the grains, you get until all the sugars are out of it and then you discard those grains and then you boil that, that water for an hour, depending on what style, but that's the, the general rule of thumb. And so you, you put your bittering hops in there at the very beginning of, of that boil, six, you know, at 60 minutes. And then you, depending on whatever the recipe is, you might put them in 15 minutes and, you know, five minutes in, whatever. And then for a lot of those, especially those Northeast style IPAs, you put hops in when the boil is over and you might even secondary hops, which means when you, so the, the boil is over, everything is done. You cool the, the wort down. It's called wort, the, that sugar, water, whatever, and, and all that stuff before it ferments into alcohol. It's called wort. So you chill that down to a certain temperature, whatever you want, probably like around 65 degrees or something. And then you pour in yeast and then that yeast will eat those sugars and turn it into alcohol. And while it's doing that, it, that's called the fermentation process. So that usually takes uh, like a couple of weeks. Loggers take like six weeks. Ales are usually done in a couple of weeks, 10 days, 10, 14 days. So in that process of fermenting, you can even go in there and add hops later on. And so it, you know, it can be like a weekend and then you add some more hops. And so you're not going to get any bitterness out of that. You're not going to even get a whole lot of taste out of it, but you're going to get a lot of aroma, out of it, a lot of smell out of it. Mm. And 
so you know if you know anything about you know cooking or or anything like your 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 taste is greatly affected by by your smell of things so when you're sitting there with with your glass and that's why there's like different shaped glasses and stuff my wife is making fun of me because she walked out and she's like what are you doing <laughs> just talking to my phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, somebody finds me interesting okay let me speak <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so so that that that's called um dry hopping but um so and that gives it a lot of that aroma, and that's why you see those those different glasses. Well, even like the whiskey that I'm drinking has like this odd shaped glass. Um, you'll see a lot of different beers that come in different shaped glasses, and that's to essentially to show off the color of it and you know, what it looks like, but primarily to focus on on the aroma that comes out of it, so that you can really get that. So you put those hops in there, um, just to smell, and that's why you see like because Antonio, you do the windows at Polo Vila, right? Yeah. And well, so I used to until they well, shut yeah. down for right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what you'll see. Like a lot of their beers are pretty expensive, you know, for, yeah. for generally speaking, like you're looking at $8, even $9 sometimes for, for an IPA. Um, and that's because hops are expensive and they use a lot. Like they, they put a lot in there during the brewing process. And then secondary, they, they load it up in there. And so they smell really, really good and they taste really good because of that, but they are very expensive to make. And I think they ship them from like out of the country. Yeah, a lot of them. So in the last couple of years, well, with this Northeast style thing, um, the New Zealand hops got really popular, and so obviously those come from New Zealand. And so that you you have to counter, I mean, counting the the shipping and all that because before I want to say like probably ninety percent. That's just a number I made up, but a, a large majority of hops came from Washington, from the like the Yakima Valley area, and. Um, so you know that that was probably a lot cheaper for for people, but now you're getting stuff from all over the the world and making different types of flavors with those yeah. hops. So. Hmm. Well, I I don't think I really knew that much. Did you know that much about beer, Aaron? You know, I know nothing about beer. <laughs> you know this. I do have a random question for you though. When you were talking yeah. about making it at home, um, what I'm wondering is if you follow a recipe and you make the exact same you know, beer multiple times, do they all come out the same or is, or are there always like variations or. Yeah. You know, yeah, there, there is. Uh, And that's where I think too, a lot of times people have issues with their, with their breweries that they open like borderlands. I don't know if you've ever been there really, really cool spot uh, just outside of downtown, but they, sometimes I would take people there like, Oh, this is my favorite brewery in Tucson. And then another time I would take people there and like, Oh man, everything sucks here. Um, (laughs) Wow. So like the variation of things, like especially in Tucson, like you know, because you have to cool that wort down pretty quickly, and so you're you're looking at boiling temperatures, and you got to bring it all the way down to you know sixty five, fifty five degrees, and you got to do that pretty quickly. And the longer it takes, the more off flavors can develop, um, or or even like if you're off by a couple minutes and in, in dropping in your hops, or if you're you know it's humid outside, and and so that affects how things boil. If it's super dry and hot. You know, that can affect how things boil and, and all that type of stuff. So I would say my home brewing, especially, I would get very, very different results from different batches. Sometimes I would be able to get it in and like, okay, cool. Like this, this one, this one's about right. But a lot of it has to do too, like something I've never been into is like the water chemistry and like, you know, um, just, just different stuff like that and temperature, all those variations really can, can change the beer that you make so yeah so it can be very different especially with home brewing 
without the proper equipment to to measure things and, and keep an eye on things and, and, and all that, it can change it pretty greatly. What kind of water do you normally use? Did you mention water? I use because Tucson has really hard water, mm-hmm. um, which I've heard, and, and this was an experiment I wanted to do with, with the, the guy that I brew with, but um, they say it's good for stouts, which is the style that I like a lot, but they're pretty hard to make. It, it takes a lot of, a lot of grain. Um, but what we normally do is we just go fill up gallons of water at the, those little filling stations. Okay. So we use that, that purified water, which is probably not the best choice either. But when you're doing like lighter styles that we usually do for our home brewing, um, and like IPAs or like Blondales and Browns and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. There's, that's why I think a lot of it started up in the Pacific Northwest because they have really good water. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and then up in Vermont, they have really good water. And then you come out here to Arizona and obviously like Tucson, our water is not hardly drinkable. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you just get that. So, yeah, we just, just to not mess with anything, we usually use the, the bottled or the gallon water from those filling stations. Okay. So usually that's like reverse osmosis, what they usually have on. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. So I almost wonder what would happen if you use like a distilled water or something like that. Smart water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wonder how that would make it come out. Anyway. Yeah, it, it, I mean it, it is something that that has that has interested me. I mean distilled water would be pretty expensive to do it. You're you're, you're doing 5 gallon batches at a time usually with home brewing and it takes I don't know like about 13 gallons of, of water to do it because you're you're boiling off a lot of water and oh, then you're losing cool. a lot of water with those grains. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so you know, buying buying thirteen gallons of distilled water would significantly up your up your your cost of your home brewing. But I mean, again, it 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 is a cool experiment that I wanted to get into. But you know, having a baby kind of changed directions in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't really factor that into the cost of brewing was the water. Yeah. So when you think about breweries brewing like large batches every day, I mean, they must be going through filters pretty quickly. In Tucson, I would assume, yeah. Um, there are other places that, you know, they, they pull it straight from the tap or, you know, like from, from freshwater sources, springs, rivers, whatever, that, that would probably be, I, I don't know how they do that. But I know, like, for a couple years ago in California, was in, in their really bad drought, um, the brewers were, the breweries were kind of under scrutiny about how much water they were using uh-huh. and how much water comes into the hop production and all that. Uh, Lagunitas up in Northern California, they're in, um, uh, they were, I can't remember what they were doing, but they, they were talking about how much water they save and, you know, how they're eco-friendly and, you know, they have like, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of like hippie type of dudes up there in Northern California. Um, they, they, so they're all about conservation anyways, but yeah, so there is, there's a significant use of water in, in brewing. Huh. And then how would you say that the art community has kind of blended with brewing as of recent? Cause like when you go to buy a six pack nowadays, a lot of them are like you're buying a comic book or something. Like new Belgium. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know how how that started, but you gotta. I mean, when you go into a brewery, you're not gonna see a lot of fat Mexican dudes like me sitting in there. You know, you're gonna see like more like hipster <laughs> type of artsy type of people. You know, and so uh, I think just it goes hand in hand. I think there was probably a lot of artists that were really into local and all that type of stuff you know how it's always like support local and all that um and they're local artists and they struggle in their their local cities downtown areas usually probably 
Um, and so I think that it was probably just natural that they started collaborating with, with breweries in their, in their areas. And then that caught on was like, man, like, you know, New Belgium has really cool art. I mean, they have like some of their, like, like the Lips of Faith series they have, that's a really cool art. And you look at like Pueblo Vida, all of their cans are something amazing with their art, you know, and they're always, <clears throat> excuse me, they're always working with different, um, uh, artists around Tucson and stuff like that. So it, it's, I think it's just something natural to happen. Just the people that were, were organically in breweries and, and probably friends with brewers and stuff like that. Um, just started working together and it's like, Hey, let me put this on your can and make it look cool. Get my name out there. And then you can also have something cool in your can that attracts eyes and the people want to buy it, you know? Yeah. Which is funny. Cause I didn't think that'd be such a big factor, but I really think that, I mean, obviously visuals are always going to help you. Oh yeah, definitely. So how would you describe the beer fandom then? <laughs> it's weird, man. It, it, it is really weird. I mean, you get, well, it's not so weird nowadays with people lining up for toilet paper, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is a real trip, man, to, to see the hype of things and how that really, like, like the, when I was telling you earlier that in Vermont, the Hetty Topper, um, they're called the Alchemist, um, brewing company or Alchemist Brewing, whatever they, um, they're a super small town in Vermont and they, the city shut them down because they were causing so much traffic in that small town like people were just coming in and messing up the you know just blocking up the streets and then parking everywhere just to go get that that beer so you have that that's like a common thing like people were lining up and like so chicago has a bourbon county stout and from a a brewery called goose island which you probably see around town everywhere Mm -hmm. because they got bought out by by uh uh, anheuser-busch the budweiser people in like 2011 um but people would line up you know every black friday so the you know after thanksgiving and after Thanksgiving in Chicago is pretty cold, you know, and, but people are out there and they're lined up, you know, all, all morning, probably even in, in the night before just to get that special release beer. Now that beer sits on the shelves because it's distributed everywhere because of uh, Budweiser. But, um, so you have a lot of people like that, that they'll line up for beers and then they start trading around the country. It's like, Oh, Hey, I got this beer, you know, I'm here in Arizona so I can get these California beers. So like one in, in particular, um, was Alpine Brewing. So if you go to San Diego from from Tucson on the eight, um, you once you get into the mountains, there's a little town called Alpine, probably like thirty minutes before you get into uh, San Diego City, and that brewery put out these really good IPAs. And so I would have people from like Pennsylvania and like different areas, like, oh hey, can you get Alpine Brewing for me? Like I'll send you whatever beers you want. And so then you would ship them through the mail, and so that that's like a big thing that people do is is shipping through through the mail and then it's weird so like you know you can get a stout like a barrel aged stout that's it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money to make it and they let's say they sell for 15 dollars for a bottle and then a couple years go by and they, they can age kind of like wine like how people age wine but they go by and they're just rare they're hard to come by like you had to stand in line to get it or you had to go to a festival or something to get it and so it's 15 dollars, and then you'll see them online people are selling them for 200 dollars for that $15 bottle and people are like desperately looking for them. They're like, Oh, I want that beer. I need that beer. And and so it's, it's a real weird thing. I've never paid, you know, anything more than, than cost for, for beer. I was fortunate too, though, because I had a friend um, from Atlanta that he would travel a lot. Like he traveled all over the world for, and all over the country for work. And so he would all, and he was single and made a lot of money. So he would go to all these festivals 
<clears throat> he would go to you know different places and he would trade with people. So pretty much any beer I wanted to try, he he brought to me and I got to try him. So I I never well not that I would ever pay the secondary prices of it, but yeah. So it, it is weird. And then I think what turns a lot of people off, and you would see like those Budweiser commercials where they make fun of craft beer drinkers. Um, like that snobbery came into it. You know, like how people like you think of a wine snob. Yeah. Um, people are like, oh, well, I only drink IPAs. Oh my God, you're drinking a Budweiser. You're disgusting. Or you know, I I only drink stouts, and you're drinking Miller Lite. You're a horrible person. It's like you mean you don't spit dude. on the general public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of this weird, this weird trip, man. Because it's like at the end of the day, it's like, dude, it's, it's beer. You know, and you just happen to be kind of like a nerd of of this thing, but it doesn't make anybody less than. You know what I mean? Like. But, you know, again, I think that it's pretty comparable to probably, um, you know, the music scene. You have people that are really into, like, indie bands and stuff like that. Like, oh, my God, you listen to the radio? You must suck at life, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um. <laughs> I actually am of that opinion, so. <laughs> Tread lightly, my friend. <laughs> Wait, you listen to Two Crazy Scoops podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and I think that's a, that's a big thing of it too, you know. And so, because I felt this way with with a lot of hip hop, but you know, for you, Antonio, it's probably like with certain bands was like, you know, oh, this is kind of like nobody knows about this band, and this is a band that I've been listening to since I first started out. Team and like, Paul. I feel um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can edit that out. Yeah, we, I, I feel like we're gonna have to record about three hours so we can get fifteen minutes of actual good material. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, and so you you feel like this this genuine connection to these bands, and and for me with hip hop, it was like certain ones because of the nature of, of rap, they would you know they talk so much about themselves, like their neighborhood. Um, they're just like different things that they've gone through. Like one guy that I listened to a lot, he got shot and like, he like explained like that whole scene and, and everything that happened. And so you feel like almost like, like you're a part of that person's life or they're a part of your life or whatever, you know? And then they get a major record deal and now the whole world knows about them. And you're kind of like, Oh, that sucks. You know, like this used to only be for people that were really into it. And now anybody that is surfing through their radio on the way to work can hear what I used to be, you know, privileged to listen to, I guess. And I think a lot of people are like that with, with craft beer, you know, because they're like, oh, this is my local brewery from my small hipster little town. And, you know, no, nobody knows about it. And so it's like a cool thing. And, and once people find out about it, they kind of feel some kind of way, um, which is what happened with Goose Island, because Goose Island was local to Chicago and they did the, the Bourbon County Stout. And then they got bought out by Anheuser-Busch, which is the, the, the Budweiser people. And now there's people that there's literally places in Tucson that won't sell anything from Goose Island because they're a part of Anheuser-Busch. Mm. And so, you know, and that, I, I guess I kind of get, I don't know, like, I, I don't care. I'm always going to drink it. Um, but people that are in the industry, I guess, I don't know, they, they feel some kind of way about it because it, it takes away from them. You know I think in, we kind of heard a little bit about that when we were at the Stone Brewery, the guy that was talking to us. He was talking yeah, yeah, they're, they're yeah, because someone was saying mentioned some kind of craft beer, and he's like, "Oh well, they're owned by this now, so obviously, mm -hmm. if you drink that, you're not yeah. supporting uh, like actual people who are out there trying to do craft." Yeah, beer. and that was probably I, I, when were you there? Uh, <laughs> like two years ago. Yeah, sounds about yeah, right. yeah. Two years ago. So I wonder if they were probably talking about like Ballast Point, which is another San Diego brewery. I think so. And, um, yeah, that they one, got bought out. Yeah, yeah. 
they got bought out by a by a company for a billion dollars. And it's funny now because I think they sold them because they weren't doing any good numbers in it. It was like a big mess or whatever. But yeah, and Stone's like a big one because they they're about local. I mean, not local. Sorry, um, independent, independently owned and all that. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so and the, even though they're huge, Stone is huge. Them like Sierra Nevada and Sam Adams, I think are the the top three craft breweries. But they're still like proudly independent. You know, they don't they don't want to sell out to anybody that's not um, craft beer related. So yeah. and it's cool. You know, I I get it. You know, they 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 stay true to their art. Like you said, like about art <clears throat> for them, they're, they're genuine artists, you know, and their art is beer. And so, you know, I, I get it the same way. Like certain bands are, are never going to sign to a major label. I mean, it's different nowadays, but you know, they're, they're always going to stay true to who they are and, and whatever. And nobody's going to dictate what they do and how they produce their art. So same thing with the, with the breweries, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting because what you're saying <clears throat> about people getting snobbish, like you have it, in everything that you like, you'll eventually find that one person is sitting in a corner and is like judging everybody <laughs> based yeah. off of this one item that they have. So I always kind of find that funny. But yeah, I, it's an it's an every hobby. I remember there was one guy whenever we'd go to any breweries, he'd always seem to be there. Like in Tucson, he has like this mustache that's kind of like curly or whatever. It's super skinny. Dude. Oh yeah. Oh no, I don't know. Yeah. But people like I'll just stand there and people try like starting a conversation with me about it. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I'm, you know, uh, despite sitting here for an hour talking about nothing but beer, I, I don't like talking to people, man. Like you know, when I'm at breweries, it's really because of my wife, and she's a social person, and so she would start talking to, you know, to the brewer or to the owner of the place, and that's how we we know a lot of owners and, and brewers and stuff in, in Tucson. And in San Diego, because of, of my wife, but I'm there. I'm just like, oh, I just, I just want to drink my beer. Leave me alone. Don't look at me. You know? <laughs> yeah. But and, it's a way of, to socialize for some people, I realize. Like, yeah. To connect. Yeah, yeah, it is. To swap, I don't know, war stories or something. Like, once to Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think they probably just go in there assuming that, oh, if you're in here, you're into craft beer. So I can, we have something in common. Let's just talk, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you're a social person, that's cool. Like my brother-in-law, he's like, he's super into that. Like he loves talking to people at, at breweries and stuff like that. And so I just sit there all quiet. I'm just like, oh, don't talk to me. And he's like, oh yeah, well, he's the one that knows about beer. You should talk to him. I'm like, oh, don't talk to me. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Well, this is going to be surprising, but we've been talking for 55 minutes. Oh, good times, man. Hey, would you be up for like doing a short 15 minute episode about music and writing and stuff like that? Yeah, man, I'm done for that. Okay, so we're going to close this one out, and then we're going to bring you back with a different theme song. Oh, like a 50-minute one right now? (laughs) Yeah. All right, yeah, that's cool. All right. Okay, (laughs) wait just one second. All right. This has been Two Crazy Scoops Podcast with your hosts, Ayo and Antino, and special guest, Jesse O. So stay tuned for the weekend quarantine break, as we call it now, uh, where we're going to talk about music, writing, poetry, spoken word, all that fun stuff. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later.